Well, good morning. Hope you still got your Bibles turned to Psalms 42. Micah's already read our scripture for us today, and then we have been singing the scripture with us. So let us pray together. Lord, we, we bow before you. We've been singing, not to ourselves, God, but to you. And yet, Lord, I pray that this morning we have been preaching the gospel to each other and to ourselves. And that we are equipped and encouraged for every good work today. Because there is those in our lives that are not here today. They need to hear your word today, God. May they hear it from us. Help us, Lord, to let each other know that we are among family today. And it is okay to take an honest look at ourselves. Help us, Lord, we pray, to be honest with ourselves today. Break down the barriers and the walls that many of us have built for years. And give us peace and rest. It's only found in Christ. This is our plea. This is our prayer. We have no one else to call on but you, God. So rest our souls today in your word. Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalms 42 and Psalms 43, for the next two weeks, we're going to sort of keep it together. Took a little bit of a break over Easter and And Pastor Micah opened up Psalms 44. These two passages come together. And I hope this morning as we begin, we can be honest enough with ourselves to say, sometimes we just, do you ever feel sort of guilty or even ashamed to tell God what's really going on inside of you anyway? I mean, we know He's all-knowing, right? I mean, we know He knows anyway. But it's still sometimes hard to simply be honest and know, God, this is how I feel. And I am convinced, brothers and sisters, we have almost nearly lost lament in the church of God. We've taught ourselves that we're just supposed to be able to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But you see, lament is given to us in the Psalms by God. What is lament? This is what these two Psalms are. The Psalms are full of them. If, you don't, if you've never wrote this down yet, write it down this morning. A lament is an honest, heartfelt crying out to the Lord. It's full of it. Lament, listen, we're going to talk about spiritual depression today. And lament is how we move out of spiritual depression. And if we know not how to use lament, we will find ourselves stuck. And so I want to refer a couple books to you this morning. The sermon over the next two weeks is going to be... This this book had a lot of influence in it. It's called Spiritual Depression. It's by Martin Lloyd-Jones. He preached a whole series on this because of the 
problems that were going on in the culture of his day and the church. This book, we've got some of these out in the, in the bookstore as well as where you get your growth group material. I printed off a blog that explains the point of this book. What this book does is teaches us as believers how to use lament in our life and how to teach others to use lament in our life to work through our own grief and trauma and those things that find us in a state of spiritual depression. So I, I urge you to avail yourself of these. So what is spiritual depression? What is its causes? What is its cures? I'm not going to be able to answer all of that today. We're going to look at sort of the first couple things. What is it? What's the cause of it? I want to be clear this morning. You see it in your notes. You see it on the screen. Here's what we are not talking about this morning. And oftentimes we use terms, we blanket everything together, and we can oftentimes cause people problems, even unknowingly. We're not talking about clinical depression this morning. What is clinical depression? There's your definition. It's in, on your notes as well. Clinical depression is an ongoing, progressively increasing state of major depression with multiple symptoms requiring medical treatment. There's a lot we could say about that, but we're not dealing with that today. So let's distinguish what we are talking about. David is going through, look at the Psalms. Micah's already read it for us. Look at the first couple verses. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Look at this question. When shall I come and appear before God? You see, there's a situation. You ask him, David, why are you in such despair? He would say, I can't get to Jerusalem. I can't get to the temple. I want to worship God and I'm stuck. It's out of my control. So what's wrong? There's a situation. This is important. Who can get spiritually depressed? Well, anybody can. But let's be clear this morning. You need to, so I want to do a little test. If you're an extrovert, if you would consider your, yourself, your temperament, the way God made you, extroverting, you focus a lot, you like people, you focus a lot on the out, outward of things. If you're an extrovert, raise your hand. I've got more in the room than I thought. Here's the truth. You're probably going to struggle less with depression. Spiritual depression. If you're an introvert in the room, raise your hands and I'll cut me when the... Okay, so listen to me this morning. If you have a temperament that God has given you towards introversion, that is towards self-examination, self-scrutiny, and if you're an introvert, you know what I'm talking about self-scrutiny, and introspection, you are more inclined to spiritual depression. Temperament does not make the least bit of difference in your salvation, but it makes a great deal of difference in whether you are going to struggle in your life with spiritual depression. Some of the greatest men of our faith were introverts that, that struggled all of their life with depression. So listen, this morning, this will help you in all of your relationships. We are not the same. We don't deal with trauma the same. We don't deal with loss the same. We don't deal with the good things in our life the same. God made us different. And different things, the same event can affect 
people completely different. And if you've got kids, you know that's true. You cannot give people the same diet and the same exercise plan and get the same result. Matter of fact, you might make somebody sick. We're different. And listen to me this morning. Even the strongest believers can and will struggle with extreme discouragement and despair in their life. And if someone does not think that is true, they are less mature than they think they are. And sooner or later, they will find themselves in despair. David did. Spiritual depression results from forgetting the Lord, focusing on our circumstances, and listening to ourselves and to other people. That's the main idea this morning. But first, let's ask ourselves, what is this anyway? What is spiritual depression? Well, I've got your definition. And notice, I wanted to make sure to contrast that with clinical depression. There is overlap. So if you're clinically depressed this morning, this message is for you. As well as those that don't. Spiritual depression is the result of unbelief. Evidenced by either dejection discontentment, bondage, or a lack of joy. So if that's true, and if David's struggling with spiritual depression today, and at other times in his life, we ought to be able to see these things in his life. Truly, we understand it by looking at God's Word. So let's look at the, this first. Did David evidence that he was dejected? Well, look at Psalms 42, verse 5. Notice the repetition of verse 5 and verse 11. It says the same thing. Psalms 42, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Repeats it again in verse 11. Repetition is important, especially in the lament and all of Scripture. What does it mean to be cast down? Cast down means to be cast away. It means to melt away. It means to despair. And it's not all he's saying to himself today. He's saying, why are you in turmoil? That means noise. It's like somebody's got pots and pans inside of you, banging over and over, and you can get no peace. You can, you're unsettled. This is a moaning inside your own soul. This is true of him. He is discouraged. He is dejected. He is despondent. This, this psalm is broken down verses 1 to 5 and then 6 to 11. And it, and it spirals down. And so imagine up top the situation that you can't control that's invaded your life. And then this sliding board of spiritual depression. These warning signs as you go along the way. First one is dejection. It gets worse in verse 6. It says, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember... Look at verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. So here's what's true this morning. I've tried to encourage people sometimes when they're in this state of deep depression by remembering the past grace of God. And you know what happens oftentimes when you do that? It makes them worse. <laughs> he's, he's recalling himself, remember Remember the present comforts of home. Remember the worship that used to be. And in turn, look at verse 7. He gets worse. 
He gets more despairing instead of looking at that and seeing God's grace and his sufficiency that he's going to come through. He looks at it and says, but look at it now. Look at now. It's not like it was then. It's look, there's no hope. Boat sinking, God. You see that word deep calls to deep. That means by the time one wave gets over him, that that wave calls to the next wave and says, yeah, come on. This picture of standing in the ocean and losing your footing and you can't stand up because the waves just won't give you five seconds to catch your breath. That's what he feels like. Remember the disciples in the boat? Jesus is sleeping soundly at the front of the boat and you remember their situation. The waves are coming and they think the boat's going to sink. It's what he feels like today. If you live long enough, you're going to feel like that too. If you don't feel like it today. Rather than past encouraging, past encouraging him, it actually intensifies his despair. That's a warning sign, brothers and sisters, that we are in spiritual depression. It's this overwhelming sense of despair and seemingly to not be able to do anything to, to ward it off. Dejection is generally accompanied it ha- they have partners that like to travel together. Dejection is often accompanied with discontentment. And listen, this is important tension I want you to pull this morning. Because many people don't know how to pull tension. David had times in his life when he had unholy discontentment. And we're going to look at that in just a second. But there's also holy discontentment. I mean, David wanted to worship God. That's, that's, his, that's what's causing him this depression. He's wanting what is right. And he can't get there. Steve Lawson says, Holy discontentment in the midst of dejection and difficulties is what's going on here in this context. This was not a denial of God's omnipresence, but rather a longing for God's felt presence. I don't feel it, God. I know it's true. I don't feel it. His dejection is compounded. Look at Psalms 43, verses 1 and 2. This is true in your life. It's true in His. Our dejection, our discontentment, our spiritual depression is compounded oftentimes by other people. Here it was His enemies. Chapter 43, verse 1 says, Vindicate vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against ungodly people. For the deceitful and the unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Do you feel comfortable talking to God this way? David did. We call it lament. You see, we need to remember this morning, we have an enemy, and oh, how I wish we could get our hands around him sometime. But our enemy's not flesh and blood, is he? Spiritual enemies. We have them. And we can be wholly discontent, but our problems, many and most of the time, is the God of this world encourages us to be discontent. He's all for depression. He's all for spiritually depression. He knows that God's glory is shrouded when we are depressed. That we don't think about other people. We don't think about mission when we are depressed. He loves it. So he encourages the God of this world just a little more. She's not good enough. He's not good enough. You can do better. You know, discontentment is how this world markets. 
All marketing strategies are built on knowing that you are, by nature, a discontent person. And they make us buy things by simply pointing out these realities in our life. This is a, attempts us to push us more down on this sliding board of depression. When we cater to these things, spiritual depression is right around the corner. Matthew 6.31. Matthew 6.31. This is set in the context of not worrying. We know that we could talk about that as part of the signs of spiritual depression, couldn't we? Matthew 6, verse 31 says this, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? See, here the context is worrying about basic things. But that's not what the God of this world tempts us to worry about most of the time, isn't it? It's better things. Your growth group material is critical this morning. I hope you're in a growth group. It is imperative this week if you want to understand the causes of spiritual depression to be in a growth group. They're going to talk about the fear of man. Fear of man creeps into our life and begins to breed discontentment. People pleasing. Desiring better things than what God has given you. When we give in to dejection or discontentment, listen, this is important terminology this morning. Here's what we're doing. We're looking for a functional savior. Timothy Keller in his book, Counterfeit God, speaks to this. We are looking for functional saviors, something that gives us immediate relief, just, just to distract me or numb me from the situation. That's what a functional savior is. They should come with warning tags, but they don't. <laughs> what, should the, what should the warning tag say? I'm going to take you further than you wanted to go. I'm going to keep you there longer than you expected to be. It's going to cost you more than you think it's going to cost you. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave you all alone out there. That's what functional saviors do. This is oftentimes what happens when we, when we begin the slide into spiritual depression. In other words, it leads us somewhere. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Look at verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. That means single or married. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexual immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life, listen, free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Here we begin to see even the cure for discontentment. I want to say this, it's being recorded, just to make sure that we're clear because the text is talking about discontentment. Gambling is simply a desire to have a functional Savior in your life. And where it leads is where we're about to fix and to go. It will lead, along with any functional Savior, to bondage. To bondage. This is what happens. Dejection, discontentment leads to bondage. 
This is the sign that we are in full-fledged spiritual depression. Look at Psalms 43. His, you see, you can have bondages that are actually physical. David had actual enemies. Psalms 43 verse 1, it seems to be, most people think, that his enemies are either a main or a contributing factor to why he cannot get to where he wants to be. If they're not themselves keeping it, they're making it less, him less able to get to Jerusalem where he longs to be, to worship God with God's people. That's not the only problem David had in his life. We know Psalms 51, don't we? Turn with me there if you, if you have it there close and might want to keep it there. There's a couple verses there. Psalms 51. You see, this is where it leads. This is, this is where the slide leads. It leads into sin. Do you remember? And if you don't listen to anything I say, brothers and sisters, listen to me now. Because many of us don't realize this happens. Do you remember the context? David's at a high point in his life. I mean, he's, he can't lose. Every military endeavor, success, success, success. And so what does he say one day? Hey boys, y'all just go on out without me. You know, David needs a little me time. I just need to take a break. You know, things have been going well. So he just, you know, puts on his comfortable pants. As the boys go out to fight and he goes out on the balcony. He's at a high point in his life and what comes next? Temptation. Spiritual highs. We all experience them in our life and they are wonderful gifts. But we better make sure we keep our armor on. Because right after a spiritual high, right after a high point in your life, here is going to come the temptation towards spiritual depression. It will hit you in the face and you're not going to be prepared for it. And it comes through temptation. It comes through discontentment. These things will hit you when you're not expecting. They hit David and he fell. And so in Psalms 51 verse 3, after he had fell into adultery and then murder, you see, you see where functional saviors lead you? David did not ever think that he would commit adultery and then murder. It took him further than he wanted to go. And then it left him with his own guilt. In verse 3 he said, For I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. He's in the pit. Sometimes you can be spiritually depressed. Romans 7 is, is, is just a comforting passage. This is why the most godly people struggle with spiritual depression. It's not just people who, are, who fall into the bondage of sin. It's the people who are laboring to follow Christ. You remember Romans 7? Look at verse 19. This comes before Romans 8, by the way. We love Romans 8. And no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Why did he say that? Romans 7, 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want. Is what I keep doing. You don't ever feel that way, do you? Look at verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. 
This can put you into a spiritual depression because that, who you want to follow, who you want to be like, you keep falling. So let's do a checkbox for David. Dejected? Yeah, he's got it. Discontent? Yeah, he's wholly discontent, but he's still not content with where he is. Is he in bondage? Yes, he can't get to where he wants to be. If he wasn't in bondage, he'd go there. And here's the most visible. Here's what oftentimes people see. He has a lack of joy. A lack of joy. It matters not whether it's from causes from sin or simply pursuing God. We find ourselves in, in a spiritually depressed. Psalms 51, 12. He looks and says, Restore to me the God of my salvation. Restore to me my salvation, the joy of it, Lord. I've lost it and sins ever before me. The guilt is on me, Lord. Restore myself, my joy. Look with me at Psalms 42, verse 3, and ask the question, is, is there an evident lack of joy in David's life right here? Look at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. So that tells us two things about David, right? He can't stop crying, and this has affected his appetite. You see that? If you can't stop crying and you don't eat, you can't hide the, the impact it has on your body. People know it. You can't hide spiritual depression for very long. When all three of these... All of these signs hit you. People know it. Discontent, dejected people, discontent people, and enslaved people are unhappy people. You know what happens next? Isolation. That's what happens. It's nothing new under the sun. We all generally respond the same way in these situations. David is. David's worried about himself. David's worried about his, what's happening to him. David's worried about his enemies that are troubling him. The result of all of this is he cannot control how he feels. This is big. What's the solution? Here's most of our answer. Change the situation. Buy a new house. Get a new wife. Get a new husband. Get a new job, move to a different neighborhood, go to a different school. Is this the answer? Here's what you're going to find. Six months after you change the situation, you're right back where you started from. And you realize, I used to say this all the time to guys. I'd, I ran a business for a long time, many years, interviewed many people, fired many people, hired many people. And here's what they would say oftentimes, a good application of it. Man, you've had like six jobs in the last like three months. He's like, everywhere I go, the supervisor's just terrible. And I'd lean over there to him and say, do you know something? There's only one common factor to what's been going on to your life the last three months. That's you. There's a lack of joy. Is, is, this, is, the, is the answer just change the situation? I've seen this over and over. 
So let me just give you an illustration that we all can relate to. And if you can't relate to it, sooner or later you will. Death. Death. Someone in your life dies. And when someone in your life dies, there is a ripping that happens in your very soul. What was one has begun ripped, whether there's your spouse or someone you love, and real grief hits that leads to real spiritual depression. How you respond during that time determines whether you move forward through your grief to hope or whether you hit the pause button. And here's what happens most of the time. The response is that I go to the cabinet and find the fact that I've got some pain pills in there. And when you reach in there and take that and start taking those things, what you have just done is chosen a functional Savior. And what will happen in that moment is it will stop you in your, in your grief in its tracks. We have seen it over and over again. You cannot move beyond spiritual depression by simply treating the symptoms. We must go to the doctor and his doctor is the word and let it diagnose the cause. And if it diagnoses the cause correctly, just like going to the doctor, we need to follow the instructions. So what is the cause? You see, general causes are not the ultimate cause. General causes are important. My temperament is important for me to know what's going to happen to me in the morning. I have to know myself. I have to get a hold of myself this morning. Knowing you is an important part of this, but that's not the ultimate cause. So what is the cause? Unbelief. Unbelief. So let's look at these few things. It's in your main idea. Unbelief results from forgetting the Lord. So what you're seeing in David in this situation is a man who's fighting for faith. So you see these signs of spiritual depression. You also see a man that is fighting for faith in the midst of it. That's why we love the Psalms. Psalms 42 verse 6 says, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. Now he's still struggling. He's still spiraling down. But do you see the fact that he is coming to his God in lament because he does not want to forget his Lord? Why is that true? Because we are tempted to. So here's just the question this morning. When you feel down, who or what do you listen to? This is important. What do you listen to? What do you fill your life with? What do you fight with? Are you, are you doing things that are simply treating the symptoms and that does not bring us to remembering our God? Because listen, if you embrace the cultural's remedy at this point, which is what? Social media, songs, media, entertainment. By and large, you have to understand that most people, including some Christian radio stations, are teaching you an unbiblical narrative. That leads you not to believe. It does not teach you and lead you to remember your God. It will lead you toward focusing on your circumstances. Unbelief results in focusing on our circumstances. Psalms 42 verse 9. I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Has anybody ever wondered why the prosperity gospel is so popular? 
Doesn't matter what continent you land on, it's probably already there. It's alive and well in the in the poorest countries. Why? Why is it so appealing? Because it focuses us on what we want to focus on. What? Which is what? My circumstances. It teaches us that we just need to be focused on our circumstances, focus on our faith to fix our circumstances. Keeps us simply listening to encouraging music, thinking positive thoughts, and never dealing with the heart of the problem. And listen, by the way, that is not love. The greatest people in your life will lean up beside of you and tell you the truth. By the way, if you find one of them, hold on to them. We begin to look for a functional Savior, and it's simply the prosperity gospel peddles functional saviors. That's what it's doing. Change your circumstance. Just pray more. Have more faith. Back to the boat. Remember the boat, Mark 4, 35 to 41? They've been through all kind of amazing teaching the disciples have, but he's not done with the day. He puts them in the boat. Jesus climbs up there to the front of the boat, goes to sleep. Remember the disciples come, they get scared, the storm. Remember what they say? Jesus, don't you care what's happening? Jesus wakes up and says, sorry boys, drop the ball on that one. Won't let it happen again. Just really tired, been a long day. Slipped a little bit off my A game, but I'll do better. No, that's not what he says. Do you remember what he says? You still don't trust me? What was the answer to that question? No. They don't. You see, our problem's not the storm in our life. The problem is God is in the boat. And we're still in despair. You see, Job said, Though you slay me, yet will I trust you. But yet if you read the whole story, he didn't trust him like he should. Not through the whole thing. Read it. If you can get through all those bad friends. Right? It's hard to read all those bad friends. You want to kick them in the teeth? They just won't shut up. This goes on and on and on. But get to the end of the book. You know what, you know what Job says to God at the end? I thought I knew you. But now I know you. Could that be that the worst thing God could do in your life is remove the circumstance? Unbelief causes us to forget our God. It causes us to focus on our circumstances. And unbelief results from listening to others. Oh, there's plenty of people's opinion about what's going on in our life, isn't there? And there is plenty in David's life. It said it over and over. 42 verse 3, 42 verse 10. His enemies were always there to say, where is your God? He's not going to deliver you. He didn't really make a promise to you. You're not really one of His. If He would have, He would change your situation. Your God don't care. And by the way, oh, we like to hear this one all the time. You deserve to be happy. You deserve better. I'm going to say something, but I'm going to move on. Unbelief results from listening to ourselves. 
Listening to ourselves. This is, this is key, brothers and sisters. This takes us into our so what? I want you to see the contrast from listening to yourself. This is not what we hear happening in Psalms 42, verse 5. Look at, what, look at what's happening. It's 42, verse 5. 42, verse 11. 43, verse 5. They're all saying the same thing. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. And I hope if you're an introvert, see, introverts like to introspect. And usually, like me, I usually go home and think about it. And then I'll get mad at you. <laughs> I think, what is he? What do they mean when they say that? What is it really saying? Maybe this, maybe that, maybe the bad, maybe the good. This could happen. I don't know. Maybe, you know, you ever do that? I'm the only one. Oh, no. <laughs> so, how do we know the difference between healthy self examination and unhealthy introspection? I think Lloyd-Jones is very helpful. Here's what, he, what, here's what he says. I suggest that we cross the line from self-examination to introspection when in a sense we do nothing but examine ourselves. And when self-examination becomes the main and chief end in our life. Let me say that again. I suggest that we cross the line from self-examination to introspection when, in a sense, we do nothing but examine ourselves. And when such examination becomes the main and chief end of our life. This is why we don't witness and evangelize and help people too. We must talk to ourselves instead of letting ourselves talk to us. What's the difference? Well, all you have to do is wake up in the morning and do nothing and yourself begins to talk to you. It usually sounds like I always and I never or usually she always and she never. This is listening to yourself. You don't have to try to do this. It comes automatically. These messages that we begin to either buy into or we fight against. Most unhappiness, brothers and sisters, stems from this truth. We are listening to ourselves and we are listening to other people. Encourage it. So what do we see in this? In Psalms 42, verse 5, verse 11. Psalms 43, verse 5, when he's doing, what is he doing? Here's what he's saying. To himself. You see, this is important. He's lamenting to God. That's good. That's important. It's what we're referring this book to. We need to lament to God. But he's also talking to himself this morning. Here's what he's saying. David, you're not hoping. David, you're not waiting on God. You see, that's what hoping is, to wait expectantly. You're not waiting with expectation. David, you're not believing in the future deliverance. You're not believing that God... Is going to bring future joy. You're not believing it, David. So here's our question today as we have looked at the cause and we're just going to crack the door on the cure this morning. Am I listening to myself or preaching the gospel to myself? The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. 
So why is David so spiritually depressed? Ultimately, his faith, his belief in God, his belief in God's power was not what it ought to be. So this is what he's saying. That David is, what David is fighting there is to take himself in hand. Laments to God. He takes himself in hand. And what do we see him doing? He addresses himself. You see it? He addresses himself. Why are you downcast, O my soul? He asks himself a question. What are you doing? Why are you so unsettled? He doesn't stop there. He preaches the gospel to himself. Do you see it? Hope in God, David. Who's saying that to him? He is. I can't gather with God's people. I can't sing with his people. He longed for it. But here's what he's saying to himself. I got to preach the gospel to myself. And listen, you got to force feed yourself if necessary. What's your plan B when you wake up and you're depressed? How do you force feed the gospel to yourself? If you don't have a plan, you're going you're to get your teeth knocked in. You've got to have a plan. It's got to be sitting there. Where do you spend time with the Lord? If there's not a place that just popped into your mind, you need to get one. Then you need to get something there to force feed the gospel truth to yourself that makes you ask questions to yourself, that makes you address yourself, and to make you preach the gospel to yourself. Stephen, you need to open God today, not yourself. We've got to remind ourselves, brothers and sisters, who is God? What has He done? What has He promised? Turn with me. We're, we're done with this. Lamentations. You can find Jeremiah. It's a, it's a pretty good-sized book. Isaiah and Jeremiah is really easy to find. Lamentations. Next book over. Lamentations 3. Let's look at verse 21. Lamentations 3, verse 21. I don't have time today. I would challenge you to look at the context of this. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have what? Hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will open him. That's how you preach the gospel to yourself. Tape this where you got to tape it. But understand what it means today. Doesn't matter how Stephen feels tomorrow, the steadfast love of God's not going to change. I'm going to get up this morning. God has never went to sleep. His mercy's brand new. Every morning. He's not going to get tired of me. He's faithful. And He's my portion. One day, we will step into glory and we get Him. It's good news this morning. So that, with that, we peer through the door of the cure. <laughs> so what do I hope this morning 
is your response as we sing. I hope you respond. We prayed to that end after, after we practiced a little bit this morning. We prayed to that end, Lord. You remember that, that father who desperately wanted the evil spirit to be cast out of his child. Disciples couldn't do it. And he comes to Jesus and he said, Lord, been going through this whole life, Lord. And if you can, would you help me? Do you remember what Jesus said? If I can. Oh, I want us to be like that man today. Who would be honest and say, I believe, Lord. But help my unbelief. In whom do we place our hope today? My prayer is we place it in the King of Kings. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can gather together with your not yet perfect saints. Lord, we long to be, and sometimes we even get depressed trying to be. Lord, would you give us rest for our souls today? Would you put a new song in our mouth as we declare with our mouth, with our very soul, that your son has risen from the dead and he is the king of kings? We're family. Forever. So God, may we worship you today. In spirit and in truth. May we not let the evil one cover this over. But may we respond. May we respond, God. Teach us what this means. To cry out to you and take ourselves in hand. Thank you that you've given us a body. To walk together. What a gift. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand and sink.